Welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and liberty. I'm still recording in my car, as you can probably tell from the audio, but today is Tuesday, November 5th. Yes, Tuesday, November 5th. So, uh, first of all, it is election day. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about that other than if you want to vote, then vote. If you don't want to vote, then you don't have to do it. And don't let anybody tell you that you have a civic duty uh, or any kind of you know obligation to do so. Uh, or that you know if you can't vote, then you're not allowed to complain. All of that is just silly. And um, I go back and forth daily as to whether or not I think that it is a good thing to vote, whether it's appropriate to vote. So you, know, you can make the argument that voting just plays into a system that's already bad. And uh, Scott Adams points out that it can also make you just more uh, in favor of the candidates that you do vote for, because you got that thing in your mind telling you uh, that you wouldn't do something that's irrational, or you wouldn't vote for a bad candidate, or you wouldn't vote for a candidate who does bad things. So when they do something that you need to call them out on, you may be less apt to do that just because you voted for them. So you have a little bit of an emotional investment in that. Um, on the flip side, you could also argue that voting is the only still small voice that you have when it comes to the way that things are run in your community, in your state, in your country, that that's the only real opportunity that you have to push back and say, no, I don't want to pay for this thing, or I don't want to support the latest war, or I don't want to support the latest levy, whatever it is. So I'm not here to tell you how to vote. I'm just here, uh, I guess, in a way, just kind of venting my own my own frustration or my own wavering as to whether or not I think I should vote. Uh, with that being said, I had a big story that I wanted to talk about that dropped today from Project Veritas. And if you haven't heard of them, you know what, you probably have heard of them. Even if you don't remember their name, um, you, you've seen some of their work. They were the ones who uh, did some of the work with um, Planned Parenthood and they got some secret tapes of people in Planned Parenthood uh, potentially selling off some of the parts or some of the corpses of the, the babies or fetuses that had been aborted. Of course, Planned Parenthood came back at this and said that it was that the footage was doctored. And what they meant when they said that the footage was doctored was simply that it had been edited for time constraints. Um, so, you know, they go into a secret interview and they're in there for two or three hours with cameras rolling. And then when they trim it down to just the good stuff so that you don't have to sit there and watch them wait in line and pay the parking meter or whatever else is they had to do, they, they trim that stuff out. And so the argument that came from the media and a lot of that stuff was that it, the footage was doctored, but it wasn't doctored in the way that they would have you believe. Um, Project Veritas does a lot within the media. Um, they're trying to get into uh, a lot of levels of government to expose some of the corruption in those places. But what they've dropped today, as you have no doubt been seeing all of the Epstein didn't kill himself memes today. Oh, there's that turn signal that everybody likes so much. My bad. Um, what they dropped today was a video of off the air an ABC reporter who had a hot microphone and it was recording and she was talking about she had done a story with one of Jeffrey Epstein's accusers and this girl sorry I should have looked up her name but I'm in the car and uh, just don't have it right in front of me I think her name is Victoria something but uh, this was one of Epstein's victims and um, 
she said that she had pictures of Epstein with, uh, I think, Bill Clinton, uh, definitely with Prince Andrew, and um, that she had tons of evidence and tons of stories and tons of names that she could name, and that she had given them all to this reporter, and that this reporter had sat down and done an interview with her, and that, of course, um, as a journalist, as someone whose job is to expose these big stories like this, um, this woman is talking about how... um, I guess I shouldn't say excited, but but she she had a big story and, and she was you know proud of the work that she had done and was excited to, to blow the top off of this case. Um, and instead, her network told her that uh, that she couldn't run it and that ABC didn't want to upset the government because this would lose. They didn't want to upset our federal government because this would obviously harm their chances at getting an interview with presidents and to get you know into people who work in the government. And that, you know, the British palace had told them that they could not run this story, that they were not to let this out. Um, and that if they did, it would ruin their chances at getting an interview with, um, is her name Meghan Markle? I'm probably messing this up, but, uh, the, the new, whatever American girl that married in there, um, but that that would hurt their access to interview people from, from that world. So, so instead of blowing the story up, where someone is running an international child trafficking ring with presidents of different countries, with multiple presidents of our country, with members of British royalty, and said we're just going to let that go because we don't want that to mess up any prospects for perhaps an interview with Barack Obama or Donald Trump on down the line. And we've known for a long time that this kind of stuff happens. We've heard that that's the way that things operate and that when the news gets big stories about this, that they run it by the White House to make sure that the White House is okay with what they're saying and okay with the narrative that they're putting out. But we've never had such brazen proof that it's occurring and, and a perfect example of, of when it occurred and that they had everything that they could run with and yet still uh, they didn't do it because they didn't want to upset those people who were in power. Um, ABC put out a statement um, in response to this Project Veritas video. And one of the things that they said was that, yes, they had it. They had a lot of their evidence together, but they didn't run it because uh, essentially they didn't have enough evidence to know for sure that it was true. And because of their high journalistic standards that they have there at ABC News, they wanted to make sure that they had the story right before they talked about it, and that's why it didn't get reported. Now, you may remember that the media jumped all over this Jesse Smollett story um, when he was supposedly attacked, you know, in some alleyway or on a sidewalk by two guys in MAGA hats, even though he was in a liberal Chicago neighborhood and he bought the ropes and the bleach himself. Um, you may remember this whole Nicholas Sandman thing where there was a kid smirking while some Native American beat a drum in his face. And uh, that kid was was put up by the media as the face of white supremacy. And, you know, that that was circulated all over the Internet the same day. And within hours, everybody knew who this kid was and where he went to school and how his parents voted and all of this stuff. But this whole pedophile thing, we're just going to keep it on the down low because of journalistic integrity. So 
if you haven't got to see that video, um, go look it up. The, that video needs to get all the hits, all the shares that it possibly can. I saw this morning um, where it had actually gotten more views than a lot of the videos that were listed on YouTube's trending videos. But of course, YouTube's not pushing that either because we have to keep this whole thing together. You know, the, 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 the media is trustworthy and that we love the media and the, the media is absolutely doing their job. But instead, we see this uh, and it's proof that the corporate media is just as corrupt and is just as evil and is just as narrative driven as any government propaganda campaign would be. But the whole point of freedom of the press is to make sure that we, the people, know what's going on in our government and that we know what's going on uh, in the world around us and, and what's going on in some of these corporations and what's going on in other foreign governments. And all of these things serve to keep us informed and it helps keep them in check. Because let's be honest, there are more of us than there are of them. There are more people than there are governments. There is more money in our hands than there is even in the government coffers. So when we find out big things, we're able to vote, whether it be um, at the ballot box, you can vote with your dollars, you can vote with where you move to, where you choose to live, who you choose to do business with. We have genuine ways of telling corporations and governments and and pretty much anybody that we interact with, what we think about them by the way that we interact with them or the way that we choose not to interact with them. So to see the corporate media just close off a story like this because they don't want to hurt some other government's feelings, or I guess multiple other government's feelings, um, that there would be any opposition there, is it's just a problem. And You've heard me say this multiple times on this podcast. Gridlock is a good thing. Opposition is a good thing. Conflict is a good thing because it keeps people honest. And it sounds counterintuitive at first because you would think, well, you know, if I'm constantly fighting with somebody, um, I would be tempted to lie or I would be tempted, you know, to, to stir up mud against them and they might do the same thing against me. But when things happen out in the open, when people are able to know what's happening, that means that people who you are not friendly with, whether it be your enemies or your competitors or you know, whoever it is, they're much likely, much more likely to, to be on their best behavior because they know that you're watching and that others are watching them. You might think that doesn't make sense, but let me give you an example. Um, let's say that you are in the movie Office Space. If you haven't seen the movie Office Space, you need to turn off this podcast right now and go watch it because everyone should see Office Space. But you have the opportunity to do what they did, where you implement a program that rounds off all the pennies into an account, you don't think you're going to get caught, seems to be a foolproof plan, um, and, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to do this at your job, but I tell you, someone else is going to know about it, and you have your choice. could be your best friend who's going to find out what you did. Or it could be your worst enemy, the one person at your work that you don't get along with that would love to see you fired. Which person would you rather know about it? And of course, you're going to say, well, I would rather my friend know. Because if the other, if, if my worst enemy, the person that I didn't get along with knew about it, I probably wouldn't go with, through with the plan because I wouldn't want them having that kind of dirt on me. And that's exactly the same way with, with government and the press or with uh, opposite branches of government or any of those things that, that when they are in conflict, when they don't get along, when they are constantly suspicious of each other, you're going to have them on their best behavior. 
because they know that there's someone watching and there's someone who's going to call them out when they do something suspect. But if everybody's friends, if everybody's getting along, then you cover for me, I'll cover for you. And and we see the same thing here with the press and with government. They've gotten way too friendly. Um, The corporate press basically can't be trusted because we see um, that all they care about is their narratives that they want to drive. And we can see that with you know, with the way that they report on things with police, with the way that they report on things with war, with the way that they report on things with race, that when they want to cause division, they don't report on anything that would would bring some harmony. But when they want harmony, when they want things to be, they're only going to tell you the good thing. And that's one of the, the big, big problems that we have with the corporate media right now. And, and, you've, and if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me retweet a uh, hundred times something that Ma- Michael Malice has posted. And it says the corporate media is the enemy of the people. And it's because they're, they're not doing good work. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. And instead, I guess, fortunately, it does leave an opening for people like me, for other you know third-party news outlets and, and content creators to go and to really talk about what's really going on and to, to do the research and to find out what's really happening. And for places like Project Veritas to come out and drop these bombshells that uh, even the media isn't on cover up. So speaking of, you know, media cover ups and things being unveiled that, you know, have been hidden for a long time. So I thought I'd take a few minutes just to talk about the deep state. You know, we've heard about the deep state. It's kind of evolved over time. And, you know, over the past several years, several years ago, if you would have talked about the deep state, a lot of people would have looked at you, especially people um, from the media, people who are just kind of tend to, to believe whatever they see on, you know, CNN or ABC or whatever, um, that they would just kind of look at you like the deep state is just a silly conspiracy, that it's not any really any different than the Illuminati or the Freemasons, you know, that it's only a couple steps worse than, than you thinking that they're lizard people. Um, but there were, there were some people who believed in it. And, and Ron Paul was one of the people who talked a lot about the deep state and he's done so for years. And one of the things that he said was, you know, that he's been in interactions with these people and that he doesn't know, you know, always exactly who they are, but that there is a government that operates behind our government. And, um, you know, that they're the ones who are really pulling strings. And that those are the reasons why no matter who you elect, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, a lot of the same decisions get made. Right. And, and um, you know, a lot of the cleaning up of corruption doesn't ever actually pan out. Um, you know, Trump's going to drain the swamp and then it never really gets drained. We're going to get out of these stupid wars, but we never leave the wars and we just constantly enter more wars. Um, and it just seems like perhaps there really is somebody there who uh, who is making those decisions um, outside of the president and, and his cabinet and the, the Senate and whoever we elect uh, that a lot of those same things get done no matter what. And so Ron Paul would tell you that, you know, a lot of these people are in the intelligence agency. Uh, a lot of them are in the war lobby and making a lot of those decisions, whether it's the generals and um, the heads of intelligence and those kind of things um, that are really running the show back there. And that maybe there's there's some sense of permanence because a lot of these guys work in these departments and in these agencies for you know their entire careers. They might spend decades working there. So um, they're the ones who have real lasting power. Um, on the flip side, uh, Jason Stapleton a couple years ago, and, and I've really... I don't care much for Jason Stapleton anymore. I don't like what he's become. But one of the things that he talked about with the deep state was that he didn't necessarily believe that there was an actual, you know, couple of rooms or couple of offices where you could go where these things are really being made. But that he argued instead 
the, just the nature of government tends to give itself more power and that it tends to want to act in its best interest and not necessarily in the voters' best interest or in this current presidential administration's best interest. So they just kind of naturally tend to make choices that, that it's going to empower itself even more and it's going to prolong its power and give it the abilities and the rights to to do whatever it wants to do. And I think that you can take either one of those explanations and that they can both definitely be right. I don't think that has to be one or the other. But one of the things um, that's been interesting since Donald Trump has been brought into office is he has talked increasingly about the deep state being out to get him, you know, and that they were spying on his campaign before it happened. And, you know, like I talked about in my impeachment episode, uh, the episode before last, I believe, I think it was episode 12. And I talked about on that episode that there were people who were genuinely talking about, you know, how do we kick this president out? How do we block him from ever taking office? And really starts to legitimize the idea that perhaps there is a deep state. Perhaps there is some kind of body um, in one form or another of people who are not elected, who run the government behind the government. And so now um, I'm looking at uh, an article from the Washington Examiner where a former CIA, CIA chief, uh, John McLaughlin, says, thank God for the deep state. And um, says he was at an event um, on Wednesday hosted by the Hayden Center. And Margaret Brennan asks him, you know, that there is something to do with this impeachment inquiry um, where we can see now that they've been digging up dirt on Trump for a long time, that um, – you know, there are people in the FBI and the CIA trying to, you know, figure out what they're going to do about him and how they can stop him. Um, now we know that there was a CIA whistleblower who was was basically put in place to spy on Trump and to bring out this whole thing about Ukraine. And now they won't say who he is and he doesn't want to give his name and he doesn't want to give testimony, which is uh, a big problem. And I explained that in my impeachment episode as well. But now you know, Margaret Brennan, it says Margaret Brennan, the moderator, asked him, there is something unique. You have to agree that now the impeachment inquiry is underway, sparked by a complaint from someone within the intelligence community. It feeds the president's concern, an often used term about a deep state being there to take him out, uh, she asks McLaughlin. And McLaughlin responded, thank God for the deep state. And you hear the crowd um, kind of cheer for him and, and whatever. And, and he starts talking about how th these people – in the intelligence agency um, and the people that are, are helping stir up this impeachment stuff, um, that they are answering. He says they are responding to a higher call that, you know, with all the people who knew that was going on here, it took an intelligence officer to step forward and say something about it, which was the trigger that unleashed everything else. Um, you know, and now they're, they're talking about what what patriots these people are and what's you know so great about this intelligence community rising up against the president. And just like I said in, in the impeachment episode, you know, these people are not elected. These aren't elected officials. The president was elected, whether you like the rules of the election or not. The, the fact is that he was elected. And so now we have people who aren't elected trying to impede in that process. And not only are they trying to, you know, impede on a president that was elected one way or the other, um, but Something that was just a couple of years ago, an absolute conspiracy theory, is now a fact. And not only is it a fact, we're thanking God that they exist for trying to overthrow the duly elected president. And I keep saying this, I'm not a Trump fan. I don't care whether or not Donald Trump 
is president. It makes no difference to me. As far as I'm concerned, the president has too much power. If it makes any difference to you who's sitting in the Oval Office in the White House, then that means that the president has too much power because it shouldn't make a difference. The way that the country was originally built, it it didn't matter. And um, this executive power and this executive overreach was not supposed to be an issue. You were supposed to be able to take most of this stuff up with your local congressman, with your state senator. And if they were making bad choices, they could be thrown out. And if the president was making bad choices, he could just be pretty much overruled by the Congress. So, you know, again, I'm not trying to defend Trump. I'm not trying to say that he's in the right here, but the way that they're going about all of this And especially now that we've moved from, you know, the deep state is just something for conspiracy theorists and we've moved on to, it's not just a conspiracy theory. It's something that we need to thank God for because they're trying to overthrow the president like good patriots. You know, it's just something that sticks out to me as a, as a bit of a problem, I guess. And, um, maybe at the same time, I shouldn't be surprised. We've been overthrowing other governments for, you know, what, 50 years now, at least we've been having coups in other countries to try to put in a leader that we want instead of, you know, the leader that their people wanted or, or, you know, the leader that came to power, however they naturally did it. And now we see a lot of the same thing happening in this country. Anyway, I'm just about out of time. I just wanted to take a few minutes to talk about those couple of stories that have come up this week and those kind of things that had been on my mind. Uh, other than that, I've got to admit, I've been falling behind on the news just a little bit because I started listening to Dan Carlin's hardcore history on World War One, And this thing is like 24, 25 hours long, something like that. And I've been knocking it out a little bit at a time. And it's just been so engaging and so interesting to learn about all of the pieces that were moving and all of the things that were happening and just how horrible this war was and the effects that it had um, on even the way that we look at the world now and the things that are happening uh, in our country and all over the world now. And um, I'm almost finished with it. I am right now. I'm at like the end of 1917 and the Russian Revolution is happening and uh, Lenin and the communists are taking over Russia. And everybody's really excited about that. And it sounds like this whole communism thing could really work out well for them. So I'm looking forward to finishing that to find out how that turns out. And um, maybe I'll have a good update for you next time. But until then, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for bearing with me as uh, I'm still recording outside of the studio. And I look forward to talking to you again uh, next time there's more to talk about. But until then, thank you so much. Stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here.